the Forged and Unbroken podcast. So here recently, I've seen this a lot in military circles and just in the firehouse in general. Leadership tolerance, simply put, is what you accept is what you tolerate. So all those little things that happen throughout the day, all the little rules that we need to follow, whether it's in some employee manual, SOPs, GOs, whatever it may be. As an officer, am I going to hit every single one of these rules and am I going to hold you accountable to every single one of them? Now it's going to be a little bit of story time. We know of some officers that let's say we work at a busy firehouse. It doesn't even have to be that busy, but let's say your people are doing the right thing, holding up their end of the bargain. They're doing their equipment checks in their house duties. They're training. They're getting in the gym. You provide a clear direction for them. They're trying to uphold their end of the bargain. They're running calls, what have you. 3 a.m. comes around and you notice the TV room didn't get vacuumed. You wake everybody up, bring them out. Maybe you scold them. Maybe you don't even scold them, but like, hey, thou shalt clean this firehouse and make things happen. Or I've seen people get it, start to get into training, like hands on in their gear. We're going to do some good stuff. Stop right now. Take all your gear off, put it back on the rig. Go clean the firehouse because you didn't do that yet. So yes, and on one end, okay, they're right. They didn't follow the rules. And as a leader, if I accept that kind of behavior, that means I tolerate it and that becomes the new norm. But to what degree? The little things that you will let slide could manifest themselves in a much larger way. But are you just micromanaging at a certain point you're just micromanaging and when you use those words micromanage it's never in a positive context i don't know of a way that's ever been used in a positive way i mean maybe if there's like some nuclear reactor meltdown and you need to like figure out every tiny little thing here's the thing is the more we micromanage the more that we are creating a non-thinking firefighter and that is a very dangerous end So when I come to the shift and I have clear expectations, we're training, we're physically fit and active, and I have created expectations that are clearly articulated enough to where you know what the mission is. Go execute. Because if I'm not there, then you will be able to go and do the job and perform, and you will be independent, and you can make things happen on your own when I'm not there. And that's what I want. That's what success looks like. If I get so selfish and arrogant and self-centered that I think that I have to be there for things to happen, very dangerous end also. But then I'm creating a dangerous environment for the firefighter. So if they're in a bad environment, something happens to me or I'm just not there. And I've the, the learned behavior is that I have micromanaged everything to the nth degree. And now they have to make a decision. They're by themselves in a very dangerous environment. I have done nothing to help support that person. So that's where leadership capital comes in. And we can think of it as almost in literal terms of capital being like finances, what leadership money I'm spending and inputting to the shift into my interactions with people. Is this going to be something that's an investment long-term or am I just burning 
you know, money away. And that's one of those things where, hey, the people have been upholding their, their end of the bargain. They're training hard. They're doing the right things. And 3 a.m. comes around. You know, I'm going to bed from a call. I noticed that the, the trash didn't get emptied. They did everything else I expected them to. The leadership capital that I'm about to spend by waking them up and having them take all the trash out is going to create bitterness and resentment in, in the shift and in the person. And we had this conversation with another employee the other day. They're like, I'm a, I'm a human being first and foremost. Yes, I'm a firefighter. And so much of our identity is wrapped up in that. And I'm good with that. We're still human beings first. So if we take that aspect away from that person and we treat them as a grunt firefighter, thou shalt do this thing. We are burning up leadership capital and we're not, we're not, you know, not to be corny, but we're not investing actually in that person. I think when we came in, something we didn't do well is understand the why. And I think that's kind of one of the themes we're starting to brush on right now is when you have a clear plan, whether it's for the day or whether it's been for the shift, like, hey, this is going to be our mission. These are our main goals. From that, don't micromanage but create parameters and help them understand the why. So like you said, traffic cones and signals, like almost half of our deaths are being hit on the roadways. Yeah. So let's have the employee understand the why behind why we're doing these things. It's not thou shalt do these things. Well, no, let me explain to you why we're doing this. So that way now you have more understanding. And the next time we go out into this call, now you can make your own decisions because you understand the why. If I'm pulling a hose line this way as a backup firefighter, that's one of the hardest jobs on the fire ground. You know, we'll run a drill where we take a charge hose line and bring it up multiple floors. And we can simulate a townhouse fire. Four stories going around constant stairwells and 90 and 180 returns with a charge hose line is really hard. Physically demanding, and if you don't know the tips and tricks, that's going to be an issue. But if you help them understand the why of that training and those tips and tricks, the next time you come to it, they're going to be much more independent and they can start filling those voids and they can create their own experience bank. Otherwise, if I, if every time's the first time and thou shalt do it this step by step by step, and they don't understand the why, well, why are we actually doing this? Like, no, 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 don't ask questions. Do as I say which I think is some of the older mentality of when we came in. We know what that end is and it's dangerous. So help people understand the why. That is massive. And then they become more independent. Everybody has a problem with the next generation coming in. But you notice when you really zoom out, every generation advances culture and technology and ushers in a different sense of change. Sometimes it gets a little, gets a little away from us, but by and large, these are good things. So, I've also, piggybacking on that, have had plenty of senior people come to me and when we're talking about conversations or interpersonal relationships on the shift, they'll say something to the effect of, well, I'm older than them. I don't even know how to talk to them. I don't know how to deal with them. They're so far off in the left field. I don't know what's up with this new generation. And I have to like, tell, like hold on, pause. You know, Maybe you're the old curmudgeon guy that's stuck in the mud but just zoom out for a little bit. They just want to understand the why and that's okay. Cause now we've created some framework for whatever issue it is that we're trying to solve. Whether it's, you know, how we deploy a hose line in this crazy structure, create framework, have them understand that why let them go. And a lot of times 
if you're sitting there micromanaging saying thou shalt do it this way, you're not going to find new ways to do things. Hey, we're going to work on this thing. Um, SCBA conversions or some type of writ drill. And we're going to create some framework go. And I've seen it time and again, where people are like, Hey, have you thought about doing it this way? And we find new way of doing things or like another little trick that helps us cut down the time on this evolution. That's a life-saving evolution. I'm like, wow, I had never thought about that. And all I had to do was create a little bit of framework and then get out of their way. Let them do their thing. Let them figure it out. Let people toy with things. Um, but again, if I, you know, what I accept, yes, is what I tolerate quite literally, but it has its end. At a certain point, you need to get out of people's way and don't burn them out because you will make them resentful. Captain Dave O'Neill, absolute legend and one of my favorite human beings in the world. When I was a battalion aide, it was probably about a decade ago now, I remember we were sitting there talking and he said he learned this from his father and his dad would employ this tactic with him when he was a child. And I remember hearing this and like, that is really great. Just parenthood advice. I want to use that with my kids, but it's also great just as a human being, as long as it's something not like egregiously dangerous, you see something that's happening. Just hop in really quick and be like, Hey, I just want you to consider a couple things. You're about to do this, and these may be some of the ends of that decision. Now that you are armed with that information, I'm going to pull myself back out, and I'm going to let you continue. <laughs> and sometimes you see, you know, maybe the firefighters look at each other and they're like, oh, yeah, we got this. We can do it. And the other times you're like, we're about to really mess up. We're just going to avoid that situation because we just had experience and wisdom come in, hit us with a little bit of truth, and they're trying to help us. So again, it, it is that balance, it is that dance, but that is such like, not just good parenthood advice, but just, you know, just human being advice. And I remember that was one of those things that stuck with me and I, I use in work and in personal life. How you do anything is how you do everything. So if you are not paying attention to just how you look professionally, how can I count on you to ensure that you have topped off your cylinder so that it's above the limit that it needs to be so that you're prepared? How do I know that you check the hose lines and they're racked appropriately? What other things do I have to worry about now? And listen, I'm not some stickler on uniforms. Like that's, that can be obvious sometimes, <laughs> but what you do says a lot about you. The small interactions that you have with your shift and with your equipment and with the community throughout the day is going to say a lot about you. And the more that slips and slides, the more that I have to worry and the more now that I have to insert myself into that situation. But again, hopefully when I first got there, whether it's as a new leader and we're growing together, or maybe it's I'm floating in for that day. I'm just there for that day. We have a clear, <laughs> it's Maggie talking smack. Um, we have a very clear plan and I have set the tone for what, this is how we're going to do things. So there shouldn't be any guesswork. And then if things start to slip, that's when that leadership tolerance comes in in a good way. Like, hey, we actually talked about this. Um, listen, I don't want to tolerate that. We need to button things back up and we need to swing the pendulum back to the way that we discussed early on. I don't want to let this slide. It's too important. It's too big. Now, obviously, we can tip the scales the other way. 
like, Hey, you don't, you've been running ragged and you don't have any cleaning uniforms. Like here's one of my t-shirts or something. Like I'm not going to sit there and like, all right, we're putting the company out of service. We're going to have a regen order review on uniforms and we're going to have, we're going to line up and do inspections. Like, so yes, sometimes it is good to kind of refresh some of what some of those expectations are. Now I'm going to put some more pressure on myself now. Um, one of my favorite books is from Thomas Colditz. He's a, uh, he's retired military. His book in extremist leadership is phenomenal. One of the most important things that you can do as a leader is be competent in your job. It is the most important attribute for influencing trust and combat. Um, and in extremist conditions, followers depend on their leaders, technical expertise, judgment, and risk of their lives. We're in this unique role where leadership is not just what the bottom line is for finances. It is literally keeping people safe and saving lives and property out in the community. So sometimes it's not a bad decision means you have third quarter losses. It means somebody could not go home. So leader competence, it's not how nice you are to people. It's not um, how awesome your equipment is. It's not you being the most physically fit person. It is literally how competent is the leader so that way the team knows I can actually trust this person to do the right thing and they will always have my best interests in mind. And that's something that I've always tried to frame myself. I'm, there's plenty of times I'm going to fall short. There are things that I just don't know. Um, you know, if we run an SO hazmat league, I'm not an SO guy. I'm going to look at the guy next to me who's a trained SO guy be like, what do I do? But so often... I need to be honest with myself and others like, Hey, I don't know that I need to find the answer or I need to lean on somebody that does. But if that's not the case, I need to be buttoned up because people need to look at me and they need to know, no, if we get in a bad situation, I know he's going to hold up his end of the bargain and he's going to do the right thing, not just for the team, but he's going to get me out of this situation. So leader competence is huge and you have to be incredibly introspective and have a ton of self-awareness to know where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are, maintain the strengths and work on the weaknesses. So we've talked about clear expectations. That's huge. Um, leader competence. We'll do, um, one of my favorite things to do training wise is catastrophic failure of your BA. It's rare, but it's happened throughout the fire service and people have died. When that happens, you only have seconds to manage the situation, to get yourself out of it or lean on your buddy. And there's a couple of things that we can do with the way our SCBA is designed. So I don't start there. I start very small baby steps. We build up to it. We make it much more complex over time, over many, many hours. And then at a certain point, I'm just going to get you in your gear and I'm going to blindfold you. So I've taken away some mobility by being in your gear. I'm taking away your vision. So some of your senses and then I'm going to make, well, before I like actually block you out, I'm going to get your heart rate up. So I'm going to make you maybe do a jog and s climb stairs and do sled swings. And now I'm going to get your respiration and heart rate up. And it's amazing to see people that rocked it like in gear, no visibility do really well. And then as soon as I just have that one little change of changing their heart rate and respiration rate, utter panic sets in because it has cut your time frame down in half, right? So if you're somebody that doesn't have, you know, tons of experience because of what the area that you serve lends itself to, you got to do that on your own and you can do some really amazing things. You just got to get creative 
and then over time safely and effectively increase the stress. And that's where that stress inoculation comes into play. Um, and so that's one way that you can help fill that gap. Now, just try to put yourself in places where, you know, you can serve the most calls and yeah, sure. That wisdom and experience absolutely serves itself. And like you said, it's an important shelf to have. <laughs> you look at just private for-profit industry outside the fire service so many times in hiring, like, yeah, they want you to have some basic certifications potentially, or maybe yeah, they're very uh, job specific, but by and large, they also have a, an, a timing grader and experience level that they're looking for because so often that's going to prop up what they need for that, you know, job description or business class more than what that certification is going to get you. But put a um, heavy burden on people gaining certs in education rather than experience. So we have, we literally have recruits once they get ahead of their rookie book a little bit in their first year, they're already starting to work on certifications because they know four years later, if they want to promote that they have to have this wide swath of certification and education that they need to overcome. And they're not paying attention to the private third party trainings or they're going away for a weekend or a conference learning the tricks of the trade and the more occupation specific things that we need to know. And, um, and I think it has, it has hurt us in certain ways because now we have a top heavy leadership that is not, this is not everybody. And this is not, you know, I'm not trying to make a blatant statement here, but there are people that have focused on the school side of it rather than the in the streets occupation side of it. So, um, yeah, we, we just need a better balance of the two. And that's something that we've always struggled with. And then conversely, we went the other way before, you know, it was like, Hey, you got a couple minutes on the job and you took a couple classes, bam, like you're in. And then there was nothing on, um, the educational, the formal education side of things, more of the white collar thing. And then if you got wrapped up in an employee thing, like where's your documentation? You can barely put two sentences together and you have 80 commas. Like once you landed yourself in an admin situation, then it got a little ugly. So, you know, it is what we need. But we've talked about clear expectations. We're discussing leader competence. I think one of the third attributes to kind of blend and glue this all together is just humility. Um, it has to be inclusive. So you can have an awesome, clearly articulated plan. You can be one of the most well-trained firefighters out there. But if you're an arrogant piece of shit, it does not matter. Yes, you might keep me safe on a call. Yeah, you might run things in tip-top shape and be an awesome command officer or a senior firefighter, whatever the case is. But if you're just arrogant, you are going to turn people off and it is not going to help the team side of things to build that, that, that camaraderie and connection. So, you know, we've discussed this in other formats as well. Being a good open listener, really paying attention to what people are telling you. When you start discussing things, you're taking everybody's opinion and you know, solid facts from everybody turning that around, employing it and thinking 
it's not thinking, well, it was the C.S. Lewis quote. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's, uh, Leif Babin said it in here for one of the echelon front quotes is supporting others by putting the mission and the team before yourself. So we keep hitting on this. Like it's, it's mission over me quite simply. If we have high performers that are asking for one small thing and to put a company patch to have an outward showing of company pride because they're doing the right thing, get out of their way, get out of their way. And that's where leadership tolerance going too hard in the paint would be, no, the rules say, don't put that patch on, do not do it. Leadership capital would say, mm, I think that I'm not saying let's outwardly break the rules, but maybe this rule is something that we need to update is incorrect because these people are doing the right thing and they're just looking for one little spirit of core thing to help prop themselves up even further. And by doing that, we're going to have even more by there is very little that is super, super clear. Thou shalt do these things and can expect this outcome. So just imagine a bunch of type a people that are adrenaline junkies and you're telling them to follow every single rule. <laughs> now, let me be clear. We are not saying break rules. It just needs to be implemented consistently. There are plenty of times, same thing, Dave, oh, I was getting ready to bark up the wrong tree. And he's like, hey, man, I know this thing is really, really dumb, but this is not a hill you want to die on. Just do what they're asking of you. It's going to go away. It's going to take some time. That's going to be a simpler end than you trying to push back on this thing right now. And that's where, you know what? All right, I'll toe the line. This role, okay, as crazy as it may be, this is a little bit more important. But you just said it. You know, we just kind of hit on that. We operate in the gray. And so as a leader, and just even as a recruit firefighter, being consistent in your decision-making and in your behavior and your demeanor, that's incredibly important because then we know what to expect. And when things go bad, we at least can anticipate what's going to happen and how people are going to perform. When we go too hard in the paint and we've gotten used to micromanaging, we don't know how people are going to operate. And that's an end that we don't want. Be genuine in everything that you do. Be consistent. We talked about expectations, competence, humility, and you're going to hear this from this. You're going to hear this from us a lot is it's just balance. This is this entire thing is a dance and it's constant back and forth of swinging the pendulum one way to the other and finding the balance that's going to be the most effective for the team. So it's that balance of opposites, you know, between the competence and the tolerance. And we just got to find that happy medium. <laughs>